Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Months ago, I asked you, what do you want us to preach about? What's, what do you want us to talk about? The Sunday that I first mentioned that, you had little cards in the bulletin that you could fill out. I mentioned in the sermon that our family has a conversation we now just call the four things. And only because I mentioned that in the sermon, I didn't tell you what they were, only because I mentioned it that day, we had more of you say, what are the four things? So you asked for it. Uh, I, I will share that conversation with you today, uh, and, and you can do with this uh, what the Spirit leads you to do on this day. Now, our text is from Deuteronomy 6. I'll start with verse 20 and read through the end of the chapter. As we come to this passage, first join me in a word of prayer. Gracious God, we are your children, which means we hunger for your word. So as we come once again to these words of ancient wisdom, may they be brought to life in us that your word might live in us. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Listen for God's word for us. When your children ask you in time to come, what is the meaning of the decrees and statutes and ordinances of the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your children, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. The Lord displayed before our eyes great and awesome signs and wonders against Egypt, against Pharaoh and all his household. He brought us out from there in order to bring us in, to give us the land that he promised on oath to our ancestors. Then the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our lasting good so as to keep us alive, as is now the case. If we diligently observe this entire commandment before the Lord our God, as he commanded us, we will be in the right. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. So at the heart of the of Deuteronomy, there's a spiritual assumption. It's all through the book. The Deuteronomist assumes that if a child is going to grow to become a grown-up in this confusing world, if a child is going to grow to a mature life, a life that is shaped by the ways of God, every child is going to need some teachers, some mentors, 
The child will need some wisdom to be handed down from earlier generations, wisdom from those who have walked the path of life. In my experience, is there days when all of us become that teacher, that mentor, all of us share the wisdom that life has taught us, but equally true, none of us ever escape the need for wisdom from those who have gone before us. Now, that worldview is not as common in our own time. We live in a time where we're a bit more self-reliant. We, I can figure all this out on my own, thank you very much. I don't need anybody else's opinion or idea. I can figure this out on my own. Uh, what, what is it, the progressive has come up with a whole series of, of commercials saying, you know, you don't want to become those who've gone before you. It works because we know those who have gone before us. But while every generation must figure out its own wisdom, no generation has to do it in a vacuum, and to try to seems rather foolish to me. In one place, the passing wisdom from generation to generation is almost unavoidable. It's between parents and children. Which is interesting because when you're a parent, when you're a parent, there are those moments when it's very clear to you exactly what you are to say and to do. But they don't come often. More often, there's some wonder. Uh, you know, you come home with, with a, new, a new one, and, and you don't know what to do. You just hold them and feed them and change them all the time and get up in the middle of the night with them. And before you get a good night's sleep, they need school clothes. And when, and when they go to school, you realize you are too. You've got to learn the state capitals again and, and pretend that you didn't forget the multiple tables and exactly how much of a parent's life on a percentage basis is spent at three and two baseball fields or standing beside a swim team pool. And before you can turn around, they're teenagers and their door is always closed. And you don't know why the world is going to end because the blue shirt is still in the laundry. And you can embarrass them because you're breathing. And then you wake up and they've packed the car for college and you think your job as a parent is over, but oh no. <laughs> they, they're almost parents themselves and we haven't figured it out ourselves. And parenting, it seems to me, is getting harder all the time. I'm glad I got a shot at it when I did. Our children experience things in this world that we didn't imagine, and it's hard. And how do we guide them? And, and how do we set them up, not so much for a successful life, but for a meaningful life? So you've asked me to talk about that, and I'm shaking in my shoes because I am no expert at this, just ask my children. 
I am responding to your request, not because I think I'm a particularly faithful parent, but because I think being a faithful parent is a particularly good thing. Deuteronomy says, when your children ask you, why do we live this way? Let me drill down on that a little bit more. When your children ask you, do we have to go to church? Tell them what's important to you. Tell them what matters to you. It was the summer of 2005. My daughter, firstborn, had turned 13. We were on our way back from Branson. It was a father-daughter weekend trip that I gave her for her birthday. I, I got the idea from my friend Brant Tidwell. Brant, when it comes to being dads, he was the best I knew. And when his boys turned 13, he took them each one on a father-son trip. I stole the idea. Sarah and I, we went to some of those Branson shows, you know. We, we swam in the hotel pool that required a brief trip to the emergency room for some stitches. And we played the most enjoyable, funniest game of miniature golf of my life. I got a 12 on one hole. It was a... It, It was a hard hole. It was a hard hole. It was. But driving back, it was just the two of us in the car, and I turned the radio off, and I said, I need to talk to you. You're growing up, and there are things I need you to know. I was nervous because I knew she was growing up in a world that I barely understood. And I knew that what might seem wisdom to me in my time might seem like foolishness to her in her time, and she might be right. Each generation must find its own wisdom, but like the Deuteronomist, it doesn't have to be found in a vacuum. We all need mentors. That's why we just asked these parents at the baptismal font do you promise to raise your children within the community of faith? It's a big job being a parent, and you don't have to do it alone. There are people all around here who are for you. 25 years ago, my friend, no, it's longer than that now. I was doing youth ministry, so I, 100 years ago, I, I was, and my friend Martha, she said to me, she said, Tom, my kids don't want to come to church. Every Sunday, it's a, it's a battle, and I don't want to force it on them. I want them to choose it. It made sense to me, although I was reminded that my parents did not adopt that philosophy. Some of you know this. M much of my elementary years, I, I went to church in a harness. It, this is going to stun you, but I... I was not the poster child for good behavior in church. Um, uh, as a matter of fact, one Sunday, I was sitting about three quarters of the way back, and I slipped out of the pew, and I got on my back, and I kicked my feet out and just slid from the back all the way to the front. My dad was preaching. I popped my head out of the first pew. I waved at him. I spun around, and I went back. He said he could track my progress all the way by people jumping as I moved from one pew to the next. The next week, I got a harness. It went around my waist and over my shoulders, and in the back, there was a leash. 
And my mother, every week, I said, do we have to go to church? Yes, put on your harness. That's the way it went. And so my, my parents were less concerned that I choose it. You know, I, uh, at the same time, my dad was teaching me about baseball. I loved baseball. If you gave me a choice of church or baseball, baseball would win. But he took the long view. I remember what he told me about playing first base. You never stretch. You never choose which foot you're going to keep on the base until you know where the shortstop is throwing the ball. But I got to tell you, how well I played or didn't play first base as a kid matters very little to me now. But I am very clear that the faith that lives in me and guides me every day first lived in my parents. Kenda Creasy Dean is a professor at Princeton Theological Seminary. She shares that the most significant influence in a young person's faith is the faith of her parents. Deuteronomy knows that. Deuteronomy instructs that Faith may not become important to your children, but they should know it's important to you. That's all you can do. Martha said, I, I don't want to battle the kids. I, 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 don't, I want them to choose it. And I, I get that. There was a time in my kid's life that they would not have chosen broccoli. They would not have chosen algebra. They would not have chosen flossing. One of them wouldn't have chosen brushing. But for the good of the community, it was my job to say, this is why it matters, at least to me. We all need wisdom like that. And in time, we all become those who offer wisdom like that. And paradoxically, we never, absolutely never, completely outgrow needing wisdom from those who have gone before us. It was the summer of 2007. My son Nathan and I took a trip. I gave it to him for his birthday. He said, this is really more for you than for me, isn't it, Dad? I said, fair enough. We went to St. Louis. We played golf. He made his first par on that trip. We took in two baseball games between the Cardinals and the Braves. We got there early both days to get signatures from his heroes. On the drive home, I said, Nathan, I need to talk to you. There's some things you need to know. If you're in that car, if you were going to share advice, wisdom for a child or any young person who mattered to you, what would you say? What would be important to say? I'll tell you what I told mine, not because I think it's particularly profound, and I'm not suggesting you do it. It's just an example of what the conversation could be like. You might want to think about it yourself. It's never too late to have such a conversation. I said, if you don't remember anything else from me, I want you to remember these four things. First, you're responsible for yourself. You are the only one who can live your life. Do not place the realities of your life on someone else's shoulders. 
Now, you will not be able to control many of the circumstances of your life. You just need to control who you will be in the face of those circumstances. You're responsible for yourself. Do you understand? Yeah, I think so. Okay, then second, you're getting older and you're making more and more decisions and some of those decisions will be really important like where you go to college or who you marry and some will not be that important like what you're gonna have for lunch and whether or not you're going to do your homework. But know this, every choice, every decision, every choice has consequences. Some of them are big, some of them are small, some of them are good, some of them are not. Some of them you can anticipate and some you cannot, but every choice has consequences. And the most important thing to remember is that often the consequences of the choices you make are bigger for someone else than they are for you. And so you need to think about that because the impact that your choices have on another, that's on you. Every choice has consequences. Okay, Dad. Third, I love you. Dad, you don't have to say that. We know that. I know that. You don't have to say it. No, you know that, but you don't know this. If in the providence of God, it comes to you that someday you have a child, then it's that day that you will fully understand what I mean when I say I love you. I won't get it right all the time. I'm going to disappoint you. I'm sorry about that. There may be times you disappoint me. That's okay. But if in the years from now you become a parent, it's that day you'll fully understand what I'm saying when I say I love you, and that love is never going to stop. No response. So the fourth thing, one more thing, and it's the most important. It's more important than you telling me you love me? Yeah, I think maybe it is. I want you to remember every day that you've been baptized. And then I told him the story. The preacher put the water on your head and you screamed like somebody had stolen your birthday cake. And your mom and I, we wept tears of joy and we celebrated that you belong to God that's who you belong to. I got to tell you, it feels like you belong to me because I'm your dad. But here's what I know. Just because God is amazingly gracious, God has loaned you to me for a season. I don't even know how to talk about my own life without talking about you. But even more than belonging to your mom and to me, you belong to God. God has loved you more than you can imagine. And that love will never go away. That love is your help and your hope and your home. 
I want you to remember that every day you've been baptized. But that also means I need you to remember that with baptism, you're called to live like you belong to God. Our lives are not our own. We, we make a lot of choices. We, you, you may have a job, you may even have a career, but that's not why you're here. Your baptism proclaims that you belong to God and your calling is to live in this world like you trust in that holy love that calls you by name. That's why you're in the world. Is that all? Yeah, that's all. My little awkward 13-year-olds are all grown up now. Every now and then, my son, he quotes these back to me. He particularly likes every choice as a consequence, Dad. He usually turns it around on me when I've made a choice that had a bad consequence. Well, every choice has a consequence, Dad. Sarah, more often than not, when we're departing from one another, she just holds up four fingers, the four things. The good book says, when your children ask you, why do you live like you do? Tell them what matters to you. The only amendment I would make to the Deuteronomist is don't wait till they ask and don't think it's ever too late. We need to know what those we love, what we think they, it matters to them. We need to know that. Life is changing and it's not easy to find our way. What the ancients knew is that if a person is going to be able to live a meaningful life, a grown up mature life, every person's gonna need some mentors, gonna need some wisdom, gonna need some teachers, some models. And here's what we know about ourselves. None of us can be that model all the time. None of us get everything right, but all of us have a perspective to share and it's needed because we are in a world that has run amuck with foolishness. We're in a world that is overwhelmed with meanness and outright dishonesty. And if our children are going to learn to find their way, it's just too much to ask them to do on their own. So offer the wisdom you have. Do it with humility, because the days may come when they discern greater wisdom and what seems wise to us may deem to be foolish in a future time. But share what you have. It's never too late. Share what you have, because no one can find wisdom on their own. That's why at the font we ask these parents, will you bring your children up among us because we want to love them too and care for them too and care for you in this incredible job of parenting. It's not something you can do alone and because as a church, you don't have to. So if your children or grandchildren or just other people that you love ask you, why do you live the way you do? 
What would you tell them? Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.